welcome to the Bloke and the Bird show. First off, an apology for last week. We fully went into the weekend planning on having a show and recording, and then, well, between somebody working in the house for 10 hours hours. that we originally planned on, like, three or four, (laughs) um, that and some other things that we had going on, we realized that there just were not enough hours in the day. Yeah, It was not a fallback weekend where we gained an extra hour, and we desperately could have used one. Yeah, we could have last weekend. So we had gone into the weekend planning, um, but then Sunday morning rolled around, and we realized that we could record a show or we could edit a show, but A, we couldn't do both, and it wasn't even clear that we had enough time to even record the show in a day. (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty sure we didn't have that time. Um... I'm but, glad there at least wasn't a race because we wouldn't have been able to watch that either. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, Formula One took the week off and we did not have to try to figure out how we were going to have a race in the middle of all of that. But um, you and uh, the boy had an amazing uh, playoffs in your pinball league. I don't know if I'd call it amazing. Out of three matches that I played, I won one and that was when I played the boy. Other than that, I got creamed. So I don't know about amazing. Well, I know the boy came home with a trophy. He came home with a trophy, but yeah. Yeah, he's working on quite the little trophy stand in our house these days. It, well, you know, it, it turns out that he doesn't have a huge amount of competition in the best youth player category. Um, I mean, this time it was four other kids, but still, he, he won. So Hey, win is win. And this is not a league where everybody gets a ribbon, so... No, it's not. So, yeah, that's a that's a good thing. On the other hand, um, while you all, y'all were out gallivanting with pinball tournaments, I had a baby shower for a dear friend of mine. And, of course, naturally, I had to finish up her gift in the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> well, there was that, and again, there was the 10 hours of... of well, we lost all of Saturday, which would have normally been done with... Well, at least the gift-making part. Yeah. You couldn't have done the pinball tournament. But the original plan had been to record Saturday evening, and we did not. So, But there was stuff that happened. And, and I, I did save stories from, from that we wanted to talk about last week and got some stuff this week. The, so we're going to rea- do a week in a review? Is that what we're going to do? Well, the, the reality is that with the season winding down, in, in a way, if we hadn't stopped for a week, we probably wouldn't have had much to talk about so between the two weeks we've got stuff to talk about all right so at least there's that let's go through our stories then so the the first thing and i was a little surprised that there's even somebody for them to to do that to work this out with but the fia in a quote gesture of goodwill their words not mine Okay. In a gesture of goodwill, has returned Manor Racing's entry fee for the 2017 Formula One season. Who did they return it to? Now, in reality, this goes to the creditors of Just Racing Services, because Just Racing Services was the parent company that owned the team. Okay. But since they're bankrupt, and it's the creditors trying to snap up whatever assets that they can to resell, um, which, yeah, we helped with that. Uh, (laughs) The money doesn't actually go to Just Racing Services. It goes to the, the creditors for Just Racing Services. Now, this wasn't a lot of money. This was, well, it is for us, it's a lot of money. But for Formula One team, it wasn't a lot of money. 
it was $522,322, and that included the additional $6,194 for the single point the team scored in November of last year. Or that's that's what the FIA gave back to the creditors. Okay. I'm sure that that means that they're <laughs> they didn't come out even, but... Oh, not even close. Now, there is talk, and I don't think that this is going to happen. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. This was last year that the talk of 50 parties possibly resurrecting a team. That, it, it's dead now. The, the they hope sold of, off everything, yeah. including all of their Puma socks. They're done. Yeah, including the Puma socks. So, yeah, I think we, now the book may actually be closed on Manor, unfortunately. Somebody slammed it shut and put another book down on top of it. Yeah. Threw it out the window, lit it on fire. It's done. So that means that we will never talk about Manor again, correct? Potentially. <sighs> okay. What the book is not completely closed on is a potential name change at Force India. Now, we spoke a couple of months ago that it was looking like Force One was going to be the name of the new team. And we heard Crappy that and name. said, wow, that's a stupid name. Well, Formula One Group and the FIA both kind of agreed. Um, not well, so that's much. because they're fans of the show and they take our viewpoint very seriously. Actually, no, it was because they thought that Force One was too close to Formula One. And didn't appreciate that move. So they went looking for some other identities. They still haven't figured out what they want to do. Um, it also sounds like that there may be some cyber squatters involved. Cyber squatting. Yeah. Now, for those that don't know, cyber squatters are folks who go and buy um, domain names on the Internet that they have absolutely no intention of using. But they think that at some point somebody might want them. So they sit and they hold on to them in the hopes of being able to resell the domain name that they bought for $15 for a lot more money. You know, like the jackass who owns blokeinabird.com. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> what was the last quote he gave you for that one? It was like a couple of thousand dollars, wasn't it? No, it was like 300 and change. So more than it's it worth. Yeah, it's a lot more than it's worth. But because we let it lapse a long time ago and we didn't think we were going to bring back the show, we're, we're paying that price. But now I, I don't like this person. And so, we're not paying the price. Don't oh, don't misunderstand. Hell no. We, we are smart enough to put the word the, the, in front <laughs> of our domain name. And shockingly, that one was available for our $6.99 a year. So what Force India has been considering, I'm considering a couple of things, um, possibly just being known as Force. Ew. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. Um, the team management is, is trying to decide whether to retain Force as part of the name or start new. Uh, there was a brief period of time that they were looking at Formula One racing and creative engineering. Ew. Yeah, I, I don't know about that either, although that would be force, Formula One racing and creative engineer. So there would be that whole piece, but I don't know about that either. Um, but, of course, folks 
the the cyber squatters because they they pay attention to things looking at various variations they've been snapping them up on on force india as well that's been slowing things down a little bit now as of right now the team is officially entered for 2018 as force india not even sahara force india they are officially entered as force india they can still change it. They would need to get approval from F1 and FIA if they come up with something that doesn't suck, um, or in, at least in their eyes doesn't suck. It may still suck in our eyes, but <laughs> as of right now, they may still be Force India next year, but we'll see. Well, we could come up with alternative names for them. Kind of like us coming up with new names for the Norwegian Edge many years ago. Yes. <laughs> Phil in his classic Norwegian wood. Yes. yes. Well, I was thinking that because they are a Mercedes team, okay. that they should play off of some of their partnerships that they have. Well, see, the challenge, you got to be careful with that because the challenge there is that that makes you a title sponsor and that's more money. So that, that's, that's a dangerous move there. And Mercedes is not a title sponsor for the team. Oh, I understand. So therefore, I think they have to go with like that Chinese like knockoff version. Merck Jr. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going with like Mercredes or something. <laughs> Mercredes is another option. <laughs> <laughs> the pink car guys. I don't know. <laughs> we have sponsors and you don't. What? <laughs> Not McLaren. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Also, in potential changes for next year, paperwork apparently has been filed with the European Union Intellectual Property Office to change the logo for Formula One. Oh, you kind of had to know this was coming, right? Kind of. I mean, Liberty is systematically changing all of the marketing, which typically comes... Well, they're deburying the sport. Yeah, but they're also changing all the marketing, which typically comes with an updated logo as a visible sign that there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah. Okay, so do you know anything about this new logo that's not news? Not much right now. There were a couple of... um, prototype logos that were included in the uh, in the application I wasn't really impressed with what I saw but it's really hard I mean how do you come up with a logo that signifies a sport especially a global sport of racing with something that's static I mean the IndyCar logo isn't all that impressive either but it's at least got a car you know what it is F1 it's it doesn't even do that. So I don't know. And I don't think any of the, the proposed logos say, hey, this is a car racing series. No, and I don't think you necessarily have to have a car racing series screaming at your logo when you are the pinnacle of motorsports. Well, are you still the pinnacle of motorsports? If you are giving teams 20-plus grid penalties for most races the, the second half of the season. 
Well, I think personally that the grid penalty system is a joke. Well, we, we talked a little about this last time, that this season there have been 730 total grid penalties issued to teams for um, power unit elements. Now, that does not include gearbox-related stuff. Those are a little different. 730 grid. I don't believe that there's that many spaces on the grid all season. Well, there's 20 times 21, or 20 times 20, actually, which is 400. See, now, that means that Honda, on its own, almost picked up more penalties than there are the entire season. That there are more grid spaces. They had 380 places worth of penalties, with Renault not all that far behind, 310. By the way, Ferrari and Mercedes had just 20. Okay. So, yeah, actually, you're right. 420 slots for the season. So what is Ross saying? He wants to go toward different design of the turbochargers. He wants turbochargers that cost about two dollars to $3,000 because at that price, because, you know, what they're saying is, or the, or the whole point behind this is by limiting the, the number of engines, it's cheaper which we'll get into that argument in a little bit, but it, it, it's cheaper that way. So if you can limit the cost of the turbochargers to two to $3,000 as opposed to a couple hundred thousand dollars, they're kind of disposable to the teams. So why bother limiting? The problem is that I'm not entirely convinced that limiting the number of engines is actually cheaper. Because the net net on this, and let's just be really honest, I can tell you that you are limited to three engines in 2018, but when you have an engine blow up or meet its end of life, you can't keep running the engine. So you're going to put the fourth and the fifth engine in your car and just suck up the grid penalties. It's not like those engines aren't going to get exist. It, it, it's not like they're not going to exist. It's not like you can just turn around and go, "Up, oh, I'm out of engines. I'm not running." Right. And as the point that Christian Horner makes is, even if you limit it down to just the three engines or the four engines, you're still burning up engines because you're still doing static testing on the dynos. You're still, like you mentioned, and and like. Christian Horner likes to say, you're still taking the engines on the world tour mm -hmm. because they're still coming along. Because e Even if you don't need the engines, you got to have them just in case. Right. I mean, you've got to have a spare mm -hmm. for each of the cars that you're running times the number of races that you've got. Because what happens if you're on the road for four races in a row? You're going to wind up with at least two extra engines per car yeah. just because you're far away from home. I mean, you, you'll bring two extra engines, and they can slam engines together fairly quickly. Um, although one thing to point out, and, and it's something to keep an eye on, and if again, by now you're, you've already seen the race, but it's been one of the questions with the Renault-powered engines this year or these last two or three races because Renault has completely changed the focus of the team and of their engineering to the 2018 engines which means there's no more they they have no more spare parts for these engines anything that's getting dropped back in if something should blow up is 
refurbish stuff that's already been run this season that they've uh-huh. been able to salvage. So they are scavenging through the parts bins to see what they can reuse. And in order to preserve the engines to get all of the, the remaining Renault power teams through the season, it has been freely admitted that they have tuned the cars down dramatically to just nurse them home. Which I'm not surprised by. Now, I go back to, I don't want a system where the biggest and the most well-funded team can literally use five engines a, a weekend, yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. That, I think, is wrong, morally wrong. But at the same time, when you're expecting a engine to go seven races, which is what the three engines would have mm-hmm. to do next year, and you don't have an engine that has made seven races this year, you know, it's not like we had a team or two teams get seven races out of an engine. They're averaging five to six, except McLaren and Renault. <laughs> um, but, I mean, four to five races is reasonable for an engine. Now, if they could come up with a system where a little bit more plug-and-play parts, where, you know, you could swap out this piece a little bit easier or that piece and not have to take the whole engine... That would be one option, but I know how engines work. They tend to come as units. Well, there, there are components. I mean, you, you do have, and, and the way they typically swap it out is you've got the MGUK and the MGUH are two mm-hmm. separate components. The turbo is another component. The gearbox, and that's why we're not even talking about the gear, but the gearbox is its own component. Right, and they, they've broken it down into components as best they can, mm-hmm. but at some point you have to replace the whole engine. Yeah. And you got to remember how far and how fast these engines have to run. I mean, we're talking tw- 200 kilometers for a race, plus running at the limit during qualifying, and three practice sessions, and that's every race weekend. At, at significantly swap- higher... Um, stress levels than your average car because when you think about it okay running 200 kilometers 200 kilometers at a time between a fill-ups and major maintenance if your road car couldn't do that you'd be really ticked off okay but this is not your father's Oldsmobile no it's not thankfully (laughs) these are highly tuned racing machines Mm -hmm. that are not meant for significant levels of stress and things like that right but i mean remember and i think this is the part that always blows me away is when you stop long enough and remember that not just is every car itself custom built for the experience they're hand custom built every single time they hit the track and they're only really built for the season and they're well, and each car, each iteration is really only built for the race weekend because they to some make extent, the yeah, and they the make arrow the, the, and and they're constantly putting on a new bit or taking off an old bit or something. If you get really right down to it, they drive twenty one different specs in a season of twenty one races. Yeah. Oh, oh, admittedly, the 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 car that is running this weekend 
for every team with the exception of maybe Sauber is very, very different than the card that they brought to Melbourne six months ago or eight months ago. 20 races ago. Yes. I know. And I mean, that's the part they look, you know, they, they look fairly they look similar. similar. They, they, they sound similar. We talk about things like big things like engines or gearboxes or tires. We talk about those things, but you stop and think about the fact that there is an engineer sitting in some factory that has hand built and crafted some part to make this car that much better than the one that ran last weekend. Not just that, though, but and, and it's something to point out now that we are at the end of the season, is that next week those cars go back to the factory and they'll get cleaned up and scrubbed and buffed and polished and whatever, and some are going to go on display in the lobby. Others are going to get shrink-wrapped and put into a warehouse, and they're going to sit there for as much as two years before the 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 uh, the rules allow them to be brought out for testing and photography and media events, all of the remaining spare parts are going to be categor uh, um, tagged, categorized, inventoried, sorted, and with the exception of the spec parts like the the ECUs that everybody uses, they're going to get packed away as well. They can't even throw them out. And that's why Manor had so many bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Bits and bobs. They can't. You, you can't at the end of the season just go. Okay, we're done. We're going to toss all this or stuff. A lot of it's me- still proprietary. I, or melt down the metal and reuse it. Mm-hmm. Or any, you can't do that. It's not like there's a carbon fiber recycling plant in Brackley. I mean, it just doesn't exist. The tires will get destroyed. The tires do get destroyed. That's about it. But also keep in mind, you want you know how much I love talking about tires. I, don't forget, those are all handmade. Mm-hmm handmade for that race yes times multiple sets per driver i mean it's an incredible machine of building stuff well as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago and as we expected to happen the uh there was a meeting this past week well well it was post brazil because again we had we had the gap so there was a meeting well the strategy group met and they are well actually all of these groups we're we're gonna call them the league of super evil forever just cuz okay but (laughs) i think they're the league of less slightly less evil well we don't know that yet and and with this next story i'm not sure you're going to be convinced that they're not the league of super evil so the engine rules were a big topic of discussion, and as we knew was going to happen, Christian Horner and Red Bull was going to stand up, and they were going to push once again to change the limits for next year so that there were more than three engines. Um, Red Bull's position is that there needs to be five is a reasonable number for the season. I agree, and I don't normally agree with Red Bull. However... According to unnamed sources, we don't know who they are, but according to unnamed sources, possibly at Red Bull, um, it was Ferrari that shot it down. Now, remember, at this point in the season, 
well, once the season starts in general, rule changes for the following year have to be unanimous. Correct. All of the teams present have to agree. Well, Ferrari stood up and said, no, we are not in support of this. Um, Their position was that they would not back such a move on the grounds that it it had already devoted time and resources to ensuring its engines were reliable enough to last the extra mileage. This Assuming is, spark plugs didn't fail. I was going to say, this is the same team that fails post the summer break because they can't seem to keep it together. Yeah. Okay. But they stood up and said, nope, we're not doing it. And because at that point you lose the unanimity – that killed the whole thing again. Yep. Well, Christian Horner decided to express his displeasure. He did it this week. Um, he actually did it talking to Channel 4, and I didn't record it. Um, but he, what he told Channel 4 this week was, for me, it's absolutely barking mad. We, we've only just got through this year on six engines. To go to three next year for more races is nutty, to be honest. To your point, you're still burning these engines up on a dyno, but the reality is it doesn't save any money. These grid penalties, I don't think anybody particularly likes seeing them to the extent that they're happening at the moment. If you came to the last race and it was decided on engine penalties, that wouldn't be great. We want to see the guys out on the track. Obviously, don't throw caution to the wind with costs, but for me, five engines for a 21-race championship would be a more sensible and logical number. I mean, I agree. I really actually agree. And I rarely agree with Christian Horner. Toto Wolf came out and said that this is Red Bull's own fault. And and I was really kind of annoyed when I saw this. Toto's position is it's because customer teams like Red Bull have been pushing their suppliers to lower the costs of the engines. And this was the solution that was done to lower the cost of the engines. So for the rules to be this way, he says that the customer teams only have themselves to blame. Okay, I think that's a little snotty. I I don't agree with that in the slightest. You don't reduce your cost by limiting production. I mean, yes, you do to some extent. But for what this is, you don't say that you're going to have a lower per unit cost because you make less of them. That's typically not the way things work. Fewer of them tend to mean that they make that they are more expensive. Right. And then, you know, you have the other logistics that have to happen anyway, no matter how many how you limit these engines. Right. I it's crazy. And all I can tell you is that starting at about race ten or race four, depending on if you're a McLaren or not. Um, well, actually, it won't be McLaren next year. It'll likely be Toro Rosso that about race four. Well, it, it could still potentially be McLaren because, remember, McLaren's going to be moving over to Renault engines, and Renault had 308 penalties. Right. So I mean, it still could the, be them. Between Toro Rosso and McLaren, I think that next year, and you should probably write this down because it's brilliant, um, when we do our prediction show for next year, we should declare – which team will have the first engine penalty under the new system? Well, I think one of the fun predictions for next year is truly going to be who is going to be stronger as a team. Is it going to be McLaren, Renault, 
or Red Bull? Who's going to have a better season? Mm. I, I, I think that's going to be a really fun prediction for next year. As usual, I don't want to make that until we see what winter testing looks like. But, yeah, it could be very interesting to see those teams compete at least on a power level on an equal footing. Well, again, but I still think that who has the first engine penalty of the season will be also an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, while I'm mentioning the prediction show, we should mention to people that they should be tuning in soon for the results of the prediction show. Yeah, that'll be next week is when that'll be going up. But going back a week, Nikki Lauda gave an interview to the Italian newspaper Gazzetto dello Sport, um, where he said that he's worried about the future of Formula One under Liberty. Worried? Yes. So hopefully you didn't just have a drink and spit it out. But th this is so, – so what Nikki had to say. He said, it was right that the American owners needed time to understand what F1 is, but that is about to expire. And what they think about the future is worrying me. The FIA, Chase Carey, and Ross Braun repeat that we need to level off the performance, but the DNA of F1 is the opposite. You are a fool if you think that to make Grand Prix more attractive, you need to have a different winner every weekend. F1 is about competition. Developing cars is one of the important foundations, as well as the bravery of the drivers. Instead, you want to penalize the best teams and protect the drivers as if they are babies, with the introduction of the halo, for example. Now, at this point, I want to stop and remind you who is speaking right now. Yes. This is Nicky Lauda. Nicky Lauda, who um, the year of his big accident and was in the contention for a championship, stopped his car and walked away from the race because he felt the conditions were too dangerous to continue to run. This is Nicky Lauda who's saying that you want to protect the drivers as if they are babies. That Nicky Lauda. Same one? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he was pushed about whether Liberty was right to push for cheaper engines, he said, yes, and I am sure we will find a satisfactory compromise. But the heart of the problem is something else. In the face of cost growth of, so, of some 70 million euros from one year to the next, revenues have declined. But where do we want to go from here? There should be ideas for generating more money, but I do not see them. I heard from Sean Bratches, who would like to see the drivers accompanied by grid kids, is imitating football having new ideas. So he believes that there needs to be a wider master plan. He says it needs a more open project. For example, the budget cap. It is logical and correct, but it needs a three-year plan to realize it. We have employees, so what do we do with them? Do we just cast them off and throw them on the road? For now, Liberty has only announced that they want to introduce it, but they have not explained how they intend to realize it. Interesting. So do we want to talk about Christian Horner's, because Christian's not shy about talking to the press, thankfully. We, it's one thing we like about Christian. We want to talk about Christian's re response to this, or do we want to rip into this first? And tell me what Christian has to say. Okay, so what Christian had to say, he said, I think Nikki's comments were a little unfounded and unfair. For, for once, Formula One has recruited some specialists in Ross Braun and the team he's put together, and it's doing 
proper analysis. Too many times there's been decisions made from the hip, and perhaps it's not going fast enough for Nikki's liking, but I think the approach they are taking is the right approach. It's unfair to be giving them a hard time when they're only nine months in and actually haven't presented their complete plan yet. It is inevitable that they're going to take time to understand the business, do the analysis, and then present what the future of Formula One is going to look like. Now, when it comes to the drop in revenues, what he says is that I think that would be that would have been the effect whether Liberty would have been there or not. It's circumstances. Obviously, they're building an infrastructure. They're investing in the business. It's just a different model to what it used to be. It used to be a small structure with Bernie and a couple of aides. Now they've put a marketing team together. They've put a proper business structure behind it, which, of course, is going to incur cost. But if you don't speculate and invest in the business, you're not going to accumulate. And the world is moving on quickly, and it's important that Formula One put that structure in place. Red Bull does not have any issues with what they're doing, their approach, and we're watching with interest to see what their plans are for 2021 onwards. Interesting. All right, so my reactions. I I have the sneaking feeling that Nikki, I'm having an issue with Nikki complaining about what he thinks the Chase Carey and Liberty Media are doing from the standpoint of they are still not fully announcing what the plan is. They're not still fully announcing what the plan is. Yes, they're talking that they want to, to level the field somewhat. But at this point, what I view their efforts to level the field are is no different than Formula One looking around and going, and, and the FIA looking at the grid and going, hey, look, Red Bull came up with this trick diffuser, and they're doing really good. Let's ban it. <laughs> I think it's much more of, I, and I, I have to believe that Ross Braun's goal is less about, I mean, you could level the playing field by issuing everybody a stock car and a stock engine and go go race. I mean, that levels the That's IndyCar, but... Um, but I think that Ross Braun's goal is around the idea of saying, let's give everybody on the field a fighting chance. Yeah, you know, hopefully one of the things that, that Ross and the team are looking to do is make it so that you don't have the teams with the current spec, current engines running in their cars and then a team who can't afford an engine running last year's engine with no updates and not getting any kind of upgrades. Well, there's that part of it, but there's no chance that you would go into a weekend with this belief that a Toro Rosso is going to be on the podium. Now, it's possible, but it's mm -hmm. not highly likely. If there's not a anticipation of, I support Toro Rosso's team and I'm going to cheer for Pierre Gasly because there's no chance he's going to stand on the podium as yeah. Toro Rosso. There's really no chance that there's a Sauber going to be up in the in Q3. Mm -hmm. I mean, those types of things. I want to start the weekend with this idea that there are 20 possibilities of winter winners on that grid. But, but even if it was the possibility of, one, that you didn't walk into a weekend and, and be able to look at the grid and go, 
Yep, McLaren's going to be at the back. Mm-hmm. That Honda sucks. They don't have a chance. They are going to be. They are never going to move up. A- along the same lines, to look at the mid pack and know that nobody from the mid pack really even has a chance of getting a podium. And they should have some chance, a third, a fourth every so often. And that's Ross Braun's – that's the premise that Ross Braun has had is that, you know, to to be able to have every once in a while a mid-pack team be able to have that race where they pop up on a podium. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a win, but out of nowhere, it's not always Mercedes, Ferraris, or Red Bulls on the podium. That every once in a while you see somebody else show up on there. The fact that other teams can can challenge at least to move up from their their expected position in the grid. And that's that's the thing that everybody and it's a very American. I got to say this part. I think it's a very American philosophy that says that despite where you start. You have the potential of rising above mm-hmm. that, and 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 truthfully, that is the American dream. You know, you can start in poverty and and dig and claw your way up and be a millionaire. That is possible. But and yeah, you may struggle harder if you're in the back, but it still should be possible. But at the start of the of the season, with almost every stick and ball team doesn't matter whether you're talking American sports or you're talking the Premier League in the UK or, you know, whatever the world cricket thing is. Yes, there are favored teams, but at the start of the season, there's a pretty good chance that anybody could have a stellar, a, a standout season. Mm-hmm. And as you go through the season – there's a pretty good chance watching any of those sports, with the exception of maybe the NFL and the Browns, that somebody is going to get a win. Right. Well, you go back to in 103 years that the Cubs didn't win the series. They won games. They won games. They won games. They made the playoffs a couple of times, mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, other than the Browns, there's always the chance. The Browns are in a rebuilding mm-hmm. century someday. Someday. I think to a lesser extent with Formula One, when you start a season with Formula One, you instantly look up and you know, really, this is only between three teams. And to some extent, that that is really kind of disappointing. And, And the other, yeah, we like a lot of the other drama that happens through the season. But when it comes to the championship, really, you're you're kind of foolish if you're thinking that Force India is going to win a Constructors Championship at the start of the season every single season. Mm-hmm. But if I look at Major League Baseball, yeah, it, it's kind of unlikely that, you know, the, the, the Kansas City Royals may go in and, and win the World Series. But at the start of the season, it's still entirely possible. Mm-hmm. And you get the right combination of rookies, stranger things have happened in baseball. And you get... The Oakland A's, is that the one that was Moneyball? Yeah. You, you, you get somebody like uh, Billy – oh, I'm missing his name, but yeah. It's it's the Moneyball story mm-hmm. where they don't have the money and they look at the statistics and they do some some numbers to try to figure out 
who the undervalued players are to put them in the right spot at the right time. Mm-hmm. And, okay, they didn't win the series. They made it a whole lot farther than they would have. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's the, the hope that they're trying to inject in the sport. Now, I'm going to remind Mr. Horner. Is he Sir Horner now? I don't think he Sir was Christian. knighted. No, Please. he's got an OBE. Did, oh, okay. Um, so it's Sir, Sir Christian. I wish to remind him of uh, one little factoid. When he think bigger than your own team. Think bigger than your own team. When Red Bull was winning the constructors for four years straight, and Vettel was constantly on the podium, he was certainly not about the idea of. Oh, well, we should, you know, everybody should have a chance. And no, he was well, all, we're number one. We're going to stay number one. Well, let, we don't need anybody challenging our, our spot. Let, let, let's hear it direct from Christian. Think bigger than your own team for a moment. Think about what's right for Formula One. And I think the follow-up question was, did you think bigger than your own team? And he goes, of course not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Everybody else should think bigger than their own team, but not him. Yeah. So, well, but but he also freely admits it. He's as much as yes, you need to think bigger than your own team at these meetings. That's not what they're paid to do. Right. So it's. Mm. And I think Nikki is. Uh, I think Nikki is also thinking about his own team, and I get it. And that's that's where his values are, and I understand that. Now the whole thing that we're treating drivers like babies just is laughable. That that blows me. I, I mean, yes, we don't like the halo. We're going to talk about the halo in a little bit. As much as we don't like the halo, for Nikki Lauda to complain about the level of safety that is being rolled in a sport is just mind blowing. Him of all people. Well, him who calculated the risk mm-hmm. and said. 29% risk is fine, but 30 is a no-go. Well, that, that I think, was—he he was just spitting words out. It, it was more along the lines of that he felt that his life was more important and that the risk was too high, and he was willing to give up because he knew this was going to cost him the driver's championship. Right. And walked away from the car in the middle of a race— but here, protecting the drivers, we're babying them. That just, it's, it's staggering. Well, you know, driving a Formula One car these days is super easy. Because, you know, no, we no. haven't had a death recently in the last few years. Oh, that's right, we have. Uh, mm, yes, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm So moving on. Yes. Other things that were talked. And and I will admit at this point, I am completely confused by the story and what the hell is going on with this. So last time we met and we talked, we talked about that, hey, that shark fin that we thought was banned, yeah, it's actually happening. And McLaren pushed the button and it's McLaren's fault that it's back. Well, apparently in the meeting at the strategy group that just happened in Brazil – it was discussed yet again, and now it's banned. Truly, really banned. And it was McLaren that killed it off. Figure that out. I'm confused. 
I think the reports of the earlier parts of the story have been incorrect, quite frankly. Because I know that McLaren was opposed to the shark fin at the beginning of the season, declaring it to be ugly. Um, but felt like they had to put it on the car because everybody else was putting it on the car. So for them to have a role reversal where they were like, yeah, we kind of really want the shark fin, seemed a little odd. Well, there was the talk of, you know, Zach wants it because it's sponsorship space. And to do that. So now what Eric Bouillet had to say coming out of me, he said, I don't understand why everyone went to do something else other than the regulations. It has been voted months ago to go with no shark fin, a sort of mini shark fin. This is in the regulations for next year. Some teams believed it will change again and want to keep the big fin. Then it was discussed to have a Mercedes-style fin, and in the end, we just remind everybody what was voted six months ago. People have said, we have to change it. We've worked in the wind tunnel. No problem, but you know regulations. There is no debate, so that is it. Mm -hmm. hey, I... Okay, so to avoid the teen-style drama of are they or are they not, the shark fin will be greatly reduced next year and will not have the flat, huge flat surface that we currently see in the shark fin environment. Theoretically. That is the current ruling of our league. So what else is coming? Is we know that tires. No, the halo's coming. Oh, before, equally hate it. Be before we talk too much about the halo, one of the problems that has arisen with the halo, well, one of the things that they've realized before we even get to the problems is that it's a new potential place to mount cameras. So the FIA and FOM are actually taking advantage of it, and as a result of the halo going in, they're adding 360-degree cameras just in front of the halo. That should be that view should be available for broadcast. Oh, neat. Yeah. Well, I hope it's neat because they've they got some side cameras these days that they're trying to use for passes, and they're awful. Well, when they first rolled, and, and that's the thing is, I think when they first rolled it out. It was actually really neat, and they did a much better job with it when they first rolled it. I think they rolled it out in, like, 2013 or 2014. It was that, that side-mounted camera that would follow the car that they were passing as they went past. And when they do it right, it's actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. This year, and there's been a couple races this year that the production has kind of sucked. Uh, that would be an understatement. Um, I mean, in Brazil, they went back to, and, and I haven't seen that camera too much this year, but they tried using it in Brazil, and it was not working really well. <laughs> they were not able to keep the car in frame, and it looked, and it, it was terrible. It, it looked amateur hour, really did. There was also, there were a couple of times this year that I, for some reason, the producers didn't want to follow the race, the parts of the races that we wanted to see. When there was drama going on at the front or drama going on at the middle, for some reason, there was an insistence on following some other driver. I know. It happened a couple of times this year. And, and that's where I got to rem remind everybody that this was not a, a fault of whatever outlet you watched it, whether it was Sky or BBC or NBC Sports or... 10 down in Australia or what this was the world feed this was Formula One management and what they were broadcasting and providing everybody yeah 
Um, okay, so the Halo is going to provide a 360 uh, camera right in front of the Halo so that maybe we could see the driver's eyes. Um, pro- potentially. I don't know. Um, the, other, the, the problem with the Halo is that some of the camera mounting positions that they have used in the past are now obstructed. Mm. So they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. One of the ones that they're trying to sort out with, and it's not one that typically goes to the broadcasters, but if you look really closely, and you can see it even today, for the last two or three years, there is a high-speed camera that is mounted just forward of the cockpit that faces back on the driver. It's footage that the FIA, and in particular the medical folks use, in the event that there is a crash for investigating and determining the G-forces and and how the driver's body moves around in the crash structure should something happen. Okay. That camera is going to get obstructed. Oh. Yeah. They're trying to sort out how that's going to work. There's some of the other uh, cameras that are that have, we're used to uh, around the um, the air intakes over the driver's head, things of that nature. That that driver's eye view cameras that we have seen, several of those angles are also going to be obstructed as well. They've got to figure out how to do. Maybe, maybe it's a problem with the halo itself that we keep telling you sucks. Well, see, that's the other issue is the halo in general, the the engineers, and and this is coming from Patty Lowe over at Williams, and and several other teams have mentioned this as well. It turns out that integrating the halo into the cars is kind of difficult. Oh, you mean it's not like just an Allen wrench and you bolt it on like an Ikea part? It it turns out that, yeah, there's a bit more to it than just bolting it on and painting it the right colors. Because, surprise, the halo has an impact on the airflow around the cockpit. No, really? And you know what else happens to be right around the cockpit and dependent on the airflow around the cockpit? But the engine air intakes. No. Yeah. I never would have thought that those two things that were within a meter of each other would have affected each other. So not just that, but hey, surprise. That adds weight. (gasps) Oh, no. Nico Hulkenberg. How is he going to deal with it? There specifically there has been some talk coming out of this weekend. Mercedes did some additional testing and some fitting um, and There was a specific comment made that the larger drivers, the heavier drivers, it is a bit of a disadvantage to them because of how they sit in a seating position. But also they dropped it on a Mercedes car and had Valtteri do some testing of getting out of the car. And it did delay his getting out of the car as he had to try and figure out how to get out around the thing. Because remember, it's not removable. And they have a rule in F1 that they have to be able to get out in five seconds. Yeah. Now, it may be a matter of some practice. We don't know. But there was a struggle there to get out of the car at first as he tried to figure out how to do it. That's just wild. Um, Yet again, Formula One, I don't think the Halo is ready for prime time. And we're not arguing against increased protection or necessarily even increased head protection. 
it just doesn't seem like any solution that has been put forward is the right solution. That's my feeling. I want safe drivers. I want living drivers. I want them to be able to survive spectacular wrecks. I also want it to make sense. So one of the questions that we've had, thanks to all of the turmoil that has been happening, in particular drivers leaving a team in the middle of the season, is who's going to drive for next year over at Toro Rosso? I haven't been worried about this. You have not been concerned about Toro Rosso's two new drivers who have managed in every single race that they have been in so far this year to have to race with a grid penalty? Yeah, I haven't worried about them at all. I figured both of them are going to get signed for next year. Well, they've confirmed it, yes. Brandon, Brendan Hartley and Pierre Gasly will be driving next year. Brendan Hartley, though, will still have some sort of affiliation with Porsche throughout the season next year. Now, since they're not running the LMP uh, one car in WEC, I don't know what that's going to be. But uh, he's still got some affiliation. He is not doing anything with IndyCar next year. He was headed to IndyCar originally. Ah, that's right. He was. I want him to get a better haircut. <laughs> I do not like his haircut. Okay. One of the other potential areas of question when it comes to drivers is Sauber. Well, now that we don't have Monisha trying to put four butts in two seats, I don't know why this is such a question. Well, there, there's a couple of things here. One is, yes, you don't have Monisha trying to put four butts in two seats, but you also don't have Monisha protecting Pascal Verlein. Mm -hmm. As of right now, the expectation is that Pascal Verlein is out of a seat. Ah. Remember, Pascal Verlein was supposed to be the next wonder kid. I don't think he's so wonderful. Uh, yeah, and, and it doesn't sound like he's actually going to end up with much of a future right now in Formula One. Um, it sounds like he's been eclipsed by Esteban Ocon and a couple of other youngsters, which is in a way kind of surprising. Mm -hmm. um, it's, right now the thought is Charles Leclerc, Leclerc who is one of Ferrari's uh, up-and-comers, is – probably slotted for Pascal's seat. But the other question is Marcus Erickson. Right. Now, Marcus Erickson has very close ties to the team's owners. However, there's also the talk of Sauber reaffirming their commitment to Ferrari. Now, figure that one out. Where we were six months ago, it looked like Sauber was walking away from Ferrari, and then Monisha gets fired, and now we're looking to go the other way, which means that potentially the other junior over at Ferrari, Antonio Giovinazzi, could get the call, which I, if I remember correctly, Antonio Giovinazzi is an American. That might be. I think he's the one that, that Haas was playing with at one point. Um, but the other piece that is, in, that is rumored that may be coming is for Ferrari to rebrand the engines it provides Sauber as Alfa Romeos. Well, I think this is very interesting. Mm -hmm. From definitely from a gearhead perspective, that they, you know, the they, the mysterious they, <laughs> say that you are not truly a gearhead until you've owned an Alfa. 
um, and enjoyed the joys of having to push it home. So, so are, are, are you saying that Formula One would, would not be a series unless they had an alpha? Well, eventually I think they need to have an alpha so that somebody can have to push it home. Because just to be clear, this is not the first time that Alpha has been in Formula One. From 79 to 85, it was a works program. See? So Formula One's a true gearhead. So. They've experienced the joys and pains of an Alpha. So they've already met that. They've already checked that off. They don't necessarily need to bring back Alpha then. Well, I don't know. I think it's a very fitting brand for Sauber. Okay. Plus, I like their logo. The uh, four-leaf clover. Yeah. Okay. The little shield. Well, the four. Oh, the the shield as opposed to the four because the four-leaf clover is like Alpha's performance piece, ah. and that four-leaf clover is on the current Ferraris. If mm-hmm. you look for it, you'll see it. Okay. I, th- I think it's also on the drivers' jumpsuits as well. Interesting. Speaking of drivers, I don't know if this made it into the um, the NBC Sports coverage, but at some point during qualifying this past weekend, the FIA World Feed caught a picture and, and aired a picture of the Raikkonen family watching the race <laughs> and had both the child of Kimi Raikkonen and his – I don't know if they're actually – actually, they must be married because she's, she's Mintu Raikkonen. Yeah, his his wife, Mintu Raikkonen, and his son, which they just labeled as Raikkonen Jr. <laughs> Hence the reason why I'm not referring to the kid's first name either, because I don't know it either. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that even the FIA doesn't know what Kimmy's kid's name is. <laughs> and this surprises you. This is the same FIA that's not entirely sure if Sebastian Vettel is married or has children. I don't – well, even the media doesn't know. Well, we know he's got children. We don't know how many children he has. We know he's got one. We don't know if he has two. But we know there's one. Think about that. I know. <laughs> Think about that. Well, you know, it also – it says something about Sebastian Vettel when the reality is this is an international global celebrity. And nobody knows. And nobody knows. I mean, how private are you and able to keep your life mm-hmm. that private? I mean, I get he's not Lewis on the social medias and, you know, playing on the interwebs all the time. But it's pretty in- impressive that in this day and age, we don't know how many kids the guy has. Well, it's, it's not just that, though. If you think about it, from what we've seen, all of the other drivers at some point during a season has – loved ones of some variety joining them at the track Mm -hmm. whether that's wives and kids or parents or girlfriends and their wives just found out about the girlfriends well Yeah. yeah mistresses all of that stuff they have them at some point at the track i don't know if i have ever seen in all the years that we've been watching formula one any representative of the Vettel family at the track. Can you imagine? Does he have any support structure at all? And I have to imagine that he really actually does. I mean, we know he has friends. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
maybe his family is that kind of private. I mean, keep in mind, I thought it was completely and utterly weird that Nico Rosberg's father didn't come to the last race when he won the championship. Yeah, but... And I know that that was an agreement that they had. But his wife was there, and she had shown up at races in the past. Yes, the, the wife so. had shown up. Um, and all of that, but dad didn't, dad's a formula one driver. I mean, like that's, yeah, but that was, it was a strategic move on his part for very different reasons than say the Vettel family. Right. I mean, he freely admitted and, and he's right with his, especially with his dad being a former world champion. If he shows up at the track, that's a story mm-hmm. for any reason. He shows up at the track. The media wants to see him. The Vettel family, not necessarily. Well, I don't know. After all the mystery around the Vettel family, maybe they would be a story. Well, now, yeah, but look, he wasn't hatched from an egg somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He's German. Maybe he was. I didn't know Germans were. Maybe he he came out of a beer stein. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Fernando Alonso, your favorite. Actually, I have – no, I'm right. Sorry, I thought I jumped a couple of stories. I did not. Fernando Alonso. Very controversial in his current career choices. And we're shocked by this. Well, I, I wasn't expecting to hear such disagreement coming from the likes of Mark Weber and David Cothard and to a lesser extent, Eddie Jordan, over the fact that Fernando Alonso has decided that he's going to be doing some extracurricular racing. Now, I get it. In the Bernie Eccleston days, you were a Formula One driver, and that was it. The hell with everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But Bernie's gone. And the celebrity of these drivers going to other series, yes, it is a boost for these other series, but it's also a boost for your series. And they, they didn't like it because, A, your star drivers, they, they feel that your star drivers should stay with within your sport and shouldn't go anywhere else. But also over how much different it is to drive in these other series. And now you need to come back and you're at a disadvantage because you've got to adjust to being back in a Formula One car. I think there's more to it. In the LMP series, especially Le Mans, allows amateur drivers. And I think that yeah. there's a concern about the safety. Because when you have amateur drivers, you increase risk. It, it, it is a more crowded field than what Fernando is. And it's the same thing with Indianapolis. It is a much more crowded field than a Formula One race. And then on top of it, unlike in IndyCar, when it comes to the WEC stuff, it's not just that you've got amateur drivers. It's that you've got multiple different classes on the track at the same time so yeah you've got the lmp uh cars which is the top end and the fastest stuff running on a track alongside high-end porsches Um, yes they're race prepped but they're high-end porsches and high-end aston martins and what are basically track prepped and track ready road car designs but not Yugos. Not so. Yugos. I mean, these are supercars, but they're built specifically for the track. But they're slower than the LMP stuff. And then you add into it that these are, when it comes to WEC, 
there's also night racing. Mm-hmm. Where on three like o'clock an, in the morning, you get tired people out on a track, and you could have some amateurs out there at three o'clock in the morning. And your lighting is is your headlights, right? Yeah, that's got a whole nother set of issues. And he hasn't done that yet. Now he's going to do it in Daytona, which is off season. Um, my understanding is that the testing that he did this week in uh, Bahrain um, with the Toyota car uh, was during the day. I don't think he ran at night. And even still, running at night in Bahrain is probably very different from running at night in Le Mans or even Daytona. Well, no, Daytona is probably lit as well as Bahrain because Bahrain isn't now a night race, so they've got lighting in place for that. And I think Daytona also is very well lit because they do NASCAR. They They have held NASCAR at night. I know for a fact Daytona is very well lit. I've seen. So there you go. <laughs> I'm like, where are you exactly going with that? Because yeah, it glows. Yeah. So neither of those really compared to Le Mans, right? In that environment. But he apparently he reportedly did very well. Now officially, he has not asked to be released to go do Le Mans. Correct. Next year, Zach Brown confirmed that. Basically, Fernando hasn't asked, therefore they haven't given permission. But he also very much indicated that if Fernando asked and— They'd be receptive. They would be receptive, and I get that. You know, especially since he would probably be driving for Zach Brown's team. And Zach Brown, as the businessman and promoter that he is, is going to see that as just a positive for— his both of the teams mm-hmm. because one it keeps fernando happy and there is press that they will put out and do to promote that but also if he's driving for zach's team it promotes zach's team correct so all those things are good things yeah now in daytona he will be driving alongside lando norris who is um, apparently not named for lando from star wars i was not gonna go there but I was going to point out that Lando is um, – he is McLaren's new prodigy coming up and was named at, I think, 18 – I think he's 18. He's 18. He's been named as their test and reserve driver for next year at McLaren. Correct. He's their number three. So did you know that there were some robberies in Brazil? Uh, yeah. During the race? Remember the whole tweets from Lewis and – you know, there was people holding guns to heads and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm aware. Well, the FIA World Council will be meeting on December 6th to discuss ways uh, to provide a more consistent and effective security procedure across all events during the F1 championship. Um, very, very bothered by what happened in Sao Paulo that weekend and the number of incidents that occurred. And it didn't just end when the race went away mm. because there was talk, and, and we had mentioned it, the McLaren was supposed to run with Pirelli the next two days at Sao Paulo to do a tire test. That test ended up being canceled because on Sunday – after the race, a Pirelli van was the target of an attempt, which the security team thankfully neutralized. But at that point, Pirelli and McLaren both said, yeah, this situation is too unsafe. We want to go home. Wow. So uh, 
and it was Lando Norris was supposed to drive that weekend. Lando described that basically he went to Brazil for a bath mm. um, before going home because they didn't run out of security concerns at the circuit. Wow. Speaking of tires, though, and well, actually, before we even get to that, the the World Motorsport Council. Felipe Massa is in the running for a role to be his country's representative at the World Motorsport Council. Well, didn't you see my giant Vote Massa pin that I am wearing? Uh, yeah, right next to your Vote Jean Todd pin. No. Which, by the way, he doesn't need the help. He's running on a post. I'm not. Again. <laughs> I, it's not my Vote Jean Todd pin. It's the Vote Massa pin. Because, you know, I was in the halls at school and I saw the really cool posters that he put up. And I'm totally voting for Massa. All the Brazilians are. Yes. Because he's representing Brazil. So, so you're you, saying I can't vote? You don't get a vote. I am using the Chicago way. I am oh. voting the Chicago style. Vote early, vote often? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, but back to tires. The problem is I don't know what vote is in Portuguese. That's what Google translates for. Okay. So back to tires. And first off, before I get into the story, if we lose our clean rating because of this, it is Pirelli's fault. I'm a little afraid now. <laughs> because Pirelli has revealed the details and colors for their expanded range of 2018 tires, what they call the rainbow range of tires. Ooh, so they're jumping on that bandwagon. Um, the range of tires will be considerably softer um, than what they had this year. But that being said, the new hard tire, which will be you, you will be able to spot it with its ice blue sidewall colors, is known as the super hard tire. If I lose my clean rating, this is Pirelli's fault. <laughs> Yeah, we're never saying that with a straight face. Now, by comparison, the soft tire, the new soft tire, which will be denoted by the pink sidewall, the name was decided based on social media. They put a poll out and they said, which would you prefer? That will be known as the hyper soft. Okay, so, so our snuggle bear tire, which was the ultra soft, now has an even softer tire. The hypersoft tire. Okay, so work with me here. Okay. Going from hardest to softest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and ignoring our wet tires, where we still have a wet and an intermediate. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was wrong. The the hard tire will be ice blue. The super hard tire will be orange. Damn it, Pirelli. Okay. <laughs> so again. So we've got a wet tire, we've got an intermediate tire, and now I'm going to go down the hard to soft range here. So we're going to have super hard. Mm-hmm. At least I didn't call it rock hard. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. And then we're going to have a hard mm-hmm. and a medium mm-hmm. and a soft mm-hmm. and a super soft mm-hmm. and an ultra soft snuggle bear. Yep. And now a hyper soft. Yeah. Okay. And so- by the way, good luck trying to differentiate when cars are running at speed between the pink hypersoft and the purple ultrasoft. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got to ask a question. Do you remember the movie Spaceballs? Yep. 
When is the plaid tire coming? Yes. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because it's apparently we are using space speeds as our options for soft tires. Uh, you know, thankfully, I have to say this. Thankfully, because of just the way, as much as they're telling us that they're going softer with these compounds, I can only assume based on what we saw this year, which they call the tire an insurance policy for just in case, I can only assume that coming next year, we will never, ever, 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 ever see the ultra hard tire. You mean the rock hard tire? You called the ultra soft the snuggle bear tire. I get to call the super hard tire the rock hard tire. Thanks, Pirelli. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, apparently social media does not like this idea. Not for the reasons that we do. They just think that it's really dumb that you've made the tire softer and you're having more soft compounds. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. This weekend, besides Formula One themselves going on, there are two other competitions wrapping up related to Formula One. Um, for reasons that I don't completely understand, they're separate from each other. Okay. Even though they're essentially the same dang thing. Um, one is uh, McLaren wrapped up. They had, and, and the series has been going on for a couple of weeks, their world fast, world's fastest gamer competition. Okay. Which is esports e-racing Formula One um, with the winner, they, and they announced the prize, the winner of the series uh, being signed by McLaren as a sim driver for them. Okay. Um, also this weekend was the Formula One's own e-racing series. Um, that, I believe, was supposed to take place yesterday afternoon. I haven't heard about the winner of that one. That driver was also supposed to get, that winner was also supposed to get signed into some kind of test and development role within Formula One for driving. Interesting. Well, McLaren signed the winner of World Fastest Gamer as a sim driver, and this is not necessarily the amateur you might think they are. It turns out that the person who won the competition is a 25 year old dutch karting champion ah uh, it's not max is it no it's not max <laughs> it is rudy van buren who beat his compatriot freak Schothorst. i have no idea if i got that right but i did get rudy van buren right rudy van buren won the contest which was a um and as a result will at a minimum get a four hour assessment on mclaren's f1 simulator nice Nice. Congratulations, Rudy. Now, seeing some potential in this or possibly being encouraged by McLaren, Fernando Alonso has launched his own esports racing team. Hold on. Let me be shocked. I'm done now. The team will be called FA Racing G2 Logitech because it's, it's uh, partnering with, obviously, McLaren sponsor Logitech as well as Spanish professional outfit G2. And they will compete in a host of top-line series in both, both F1 and other online categories. So what Fernando had to say on Thursday when this was announced, he says, I'm a team principal finally. There will be no meetings very early. We will change completely the way we work. <laughs> he says, it's very exciting, and it is a completely new thing to discover. 
I think esports and other formats have been very successful, but in racing it is at the very beginning, and huge potential will come. I'm happy to be one of the first investing in this direction, and I think good and fun times are coming, not only for us, but for gamers at home and for fans. So Alonzo, he was asked if, if he had been signed to the team himself as a driver. Mm. Fernando said, not yet, but we have some ideas for our fans to have online competitions monthly that they can not only participate with our pro drivers, but also with myself. I will definitely be slower, more the amateur level. We will have fun. That is the first thing, and we will develop a platform that is available for everyone in the world. Interesting. Yeah. And then finally, we've heard this talk about new tracks, new races, return of classic tracks, um, and the possibility. We knew that thanks to, to Max Verstappen that the Formula One group and Formula One management want to bring a race back to Holland. Mm -hmm. And initially they said, well, let's go to Amsterdam. Let's do a street race. And Amsterdam said, no, <laughs> you have a perfectly good track. Go there. <laughs> well, the perfectly good track, which is Anvort, um, one of the uh, co-owners of the circuit has said that it is completely realistic. Now, he admits that um, – they do not currently have grade one certification. They are grade two certified. But Zandvoort has been known and has hosted races in, a, in the past for Formula One. Um, odds are there's going to need to be some significant redesigns coming to get them back up to grade one standards and to get them to, to Formula One standards because it's also been known as a fairly deadly track for Formula One. Right. But they do believe that you know, if they can get the investors and they can get it a, cons a consortium together to fund it, um, that it is realistic that Formula One could come back to Zandvoort. Very cool. I, I like the idea. I think it'd be neat. It'll be I very don't know interesting what to they see would replace. the entire place clothed in orange, though. Yeah, and, and that's one of the cool things, and, and that's what it would definitely happen. But your question becomes, what gets replaced? Maybe Bahrain. Maybe. I, I'd be okay with sacrificing Bahrain for um, – or, you know, I would be very supportive of sacrificing the Super Mario Grand Prix. I was going to say Abu Dhabi. <laughs> um, yeah, Azerbaijan is yes, the one. Yes, we, we have to keep Abu Dhabi just so that we can make the joke about getting a puppy every single year. <laughs> All right. So on that note, let's go watch the race at Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. We're getting a puppy. Thank you. <laughs> We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. 